<laughs> All right. Welcome to episode four of the Board Gaming Triangle. <laughs> Your super exciting bi-weekly podcast where friends talk about board games. <laughs> oh, it's officially it's officially uh, bi-weekly now, is it? Look, we, we got to set goals. We got to set goals. Oh, man. Responsibility. Not for me, man. Not for me. Look, we're on episode four. I feel like I feel like that's not a stretch. You know, that's two months worth. We're ready. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. All ah. right. Actually, speaking of being four podcasts in, four recordings into this, how are you guys feeling about like being a podcaster and like how that's impacting talking about board games? I definitely bring it up every time I'm talking about board games that I am now recording a podcast. When, uh, as I mentioned in the last session, I was talking with uh, people at yoga. It definitely made them look at me more strangely about uh, the idea that I liked board games at that point. But I feel like when, when talking about uh, games and styles and types, I'm definitely uh, feeling more like I'm taking notes and trying to think of, oh, yeah, where, where's some good content for our podcast? But uh, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, luckily, we already pretty pretty much approached board games from a fairly conversational angle. Ken and I are always talking strategy. So that part kind of flows naturally, but thinking about topics is always very interesting. Trying to think about what more so what a broader audience might appreciate. I mm-hmm. think that that's probably the the most difficult thing, especially as you're kind of kind of getting your feet wet, figuring out what people like and 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 don't like about what you're conversing about. A lot of this just originated as us enjoying talking about this stuff as friends. And we're like, maybe someone else would want to listen to us. I don't know. Um, yep. So that's that's really how it started. Yeah, that's probably the biggest change for me is just when we're talking about board games not on recording. I'm like, no, no, no. Save, this <laughs> Save the, the content. <laughs> we we need that's to true. have this conversation later. Mm-hmm. I need to like have a notebook in my pocket like to write things down that we're talking about. Oh, that's a good, that's a good thing to talk about. And I think it'll maybe get a little bit more loose as we go as well. Um, Right now we're still trying to stay as on topic as possible, but you know, maybe some of the more, the the more meme conversations that we have come up when we're talking about board games, Mm -hmm. that'll maybe start, start pokes of that here and there. But for now we're going to be hyper-focused, hyper-attentive. We don't deviate. All right, so Tim, what's our topic for today? What are we not deviating from? Ooh. Well, we wanted to talk about how you host a board game night, how you get that going, uh, maybe some details around how you might teach a game. We'll see, kind of, we'll, we'll get a feel for it. So Sarah, how often do you plan a board game night? Okay, so fun fact, <laughs> I've never planned a board game night. I love hosting parties. That's true, you do, you do. I've never actually... I mean, I've had a party that had like a a board game played at it. Actually, it wasn't even a board game. It, it was like Exploding Kittens. That was the only time I've ever played a game at my house with people for a party. So <laughs> I've never actually hosted myself. So this is going to be me commenting on how you guys host. <laughs> well, that's true. I think you're going to have some value, valuable insights from somebody who frequently goes to one of our board game hostings. Mm-hmm. Um, how you no, can also, I mean, you know, how you can encourage people to be good attendees as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, my my opinions are obviously very value, valuable all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Tim, how often do you do you host podcasts or not podcasts, board, game, <laughs> board game 
Well, as I heard, yeah, bi-weekly, right? <laughs> bi-weekly. Yeah. Um, but uh, so overall, I try to actually host it every two weeks. And one of the big things that I focus on is uh, it's a little easier when you're working a pretty typical nine to five. Like, you know, fortunately, the three of us have the uh, fortunate nature of doing, but uh, some people are not going to be able to do that. But you can kind of take at least some of the things that, that we're taking and kind of cultivated a little bit to fit more so your schedule. But what I often do is I try to have board game nights every two weeks and also then alternating days on those two weeks. So I try to have some on Saturday, some on Sunday, and then, you know, you get a feel a little bit more depending on your group. But on my Saturday nights, I do them a little bit later. So from five to 10 on Saturday nights and then Sundays... (laughs) This week it went until what, like two? Okay, but we weren't playing board games, all right? You had to, you had to show us. You guys loved. I forget the name of the show. Over, Over the, the Garden Wall. wall. Yeah. Over the, the Garden best Wall. Yeah. Animated series of all time. I said but really, it, I will not take really, it we back. wrapped up at like eleven ish, twelve ish. Yeah, we did, we did. But <laughs> nonetheless, and we're and we're also never on time. So ideally, in an, in an ideal world, on time, five to ten, you know, and you can make that shorter if you're just kind of playing some shorter games. But, you know, obviously we have some fanatics here, so we, we're willing to maybe play a couple games. But uh, yeah. yeah, then Sundays, three to eight, you know, usually people want a little bit earlier Sunday so they could, you know, do that whole go to work thing. Eh, boring. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. and I know, you know, so it's every two weeks and then occasionally I feel like it's like once a quarter it's a whole weekend. We've got like a TI weekend schedule. Just because you have to. There's no other yeah. real way to do it. So yep. um, put it on the calendar early so everybody can plan around it if they want to be there. Mm-hmm. So so to that extent, and it doesn't work great, but it's better than nothing. So how do you coordinate this? Because there's all sorts of different social platforms. Um, so it's kind of kind of a pick your poison kind of thing. And also... You know, you're going to have p- different people attending at different times, but you might have a large group of people that you want to send invites out to. Um, I initially tried it with Facebook. Didn't work too great. It also doesn't work great when you delete Facebook. So that, that also doesn't help either. But I will say with that, though, I mean, you deleting Facebook is what uh, what made me reach out and be like, hey, uh, we should get together for Twilight Imperium sometime. Uh, here's my cell number because we had been Facebook friends for years and never actually done it. But uh, yeah, that's true. So. It, it was a good catalyst. One of the best things you ever did to plan Twilight Imperium was was rage quitting Facebook. Rage quitting Facebook <laughs> is probably the best thing I've ever done. You know, just looking looking in my life. I feel like that's got to be a story. Like, what is this? Like, why did you rage quit? Facebook? Oh, I mean, if I had to see one more, if I had to see one more old person complain about the <laughs> dumbest shit ever, I was just like, I'm I, I'm going to lose it. So I had to just delete it straight up. I was just tired of. I mean, this is around the election time as well. So you're just hearing like the dumbest mm-hmm. of the dumb, like to tout, tout their opinion, like, you know, they they know anything. And yeah, we're not a political podcast. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tim just cut our audience in half. Thanks, Tim. Uh, That's fine. You know what? No, he he technically didn't say what was the dumbest. That's thing. true. Okay. That's so, true. Pick your but, poison there, too. Yeah, exactly. Very anti-old people, right? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, whatever. Die boomers die, you know, whatever whatever makes you feel great. Okay, now, now we've alienated the older portion of our pot potential and, and come on and millennials no cap you guys you guys suck too um and uh who else can we offend while we're at it 
Nobody's coming okay. to your board game party because you're going to offend everybody before they get there. Okay. Kim's statements do not represent the official <laughs> positions of the triangle game of the board game triangle podcast. Um, are his own alone? Cut that, cut that, <laughs> cut that in post. Nobody <laughs> wants to hear your old ass millennial opinion. Okay, so. Boo. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, Ken, how often are you hosting? At this point, I've been trying to journey to a, a monthly uh, board game event. I've in the past done things more frequent or less frequent. I definitely have had times when I've gone, you know, six months without hosting anything, and that was way too long. But yeah, generally about once a month, I try to uh, to have some friends over and, uh, and play something. I've definitely been typically trying to go more where I have a particular game in mind that I want to play. And so I find the people who I think will play that game. And that's been, uh, been working well. So, finding the ways to reach out and commun- communicate and connect with people and get them committed. I will use Facebook because I still do use, use Facebook. I will use text messaging. I'll call people. Generally, I do have to go through a lot of people in order to get a, a set to play the game. That's been my approach. Yeah, it, I have noticed that as well. You kind of need a big pool just because even if you had a consistent group of people, they're not always going to be able to make it depending on what's going on with their lives. So I've gone through many iterations of trying to invite people. So first, yep. uh, well, I, primarily I use uh, Google Calendar to try and coordinate everybody. People are still not very consistent about answering, you know, uh, the invite, even though I have it as a recurring thing, which also can kind of mess people up. But it's a recurring invite and you just say yes, if you can make it. No, if you can't. And then this way I can help like plan like food and snacks and things like that. I mean, I just assume Ken and Sarah are coming. So that's that's yeah. that's a different yep. thing. But I mean, we're lucky that you can assume that because <laughs> I am the worst at Google Calendar stuff. No, like, there's plenty of way my worse. Outlook calendar at work. Outlook calendar at work. Live by it. Social calendar on Google. Could not figure it out if my life depended on it. So I don't even know if I knew you could like respond to those. <laughs> <laughs> I, that that makes sense, you know, and I don't think any anybody else who I've invited has uh, figured that out either. But yeah, so bless so you people... for, for putting it on my calendar because I do know how to look at my calendar now, which is something that this board gaming group It's has certainly done. better than nothing. Like it's yeah. it's the it's what's worked the best so far because you know my other avenue is Discord, and Discord is you know you uh, unless you have people who are pretty active on it, they're generally not going to be paying much attention to those channels anyway because. Discord is also just inherently really noisy. You join any server and it's just like an explosion of messages. So I, I can understand why people just inherently mute everything. Uh, and I also started with different board game categories to try and encourage different people who might be interested in different games to come at different times. So I like every, it would basically be like a cycle of eight weeks where the first two weeks it's like party games. The next two, uh, the next uh, two weeks after it would be uh, cooperative games. And then after that, it's like strategy games and, you know, fairly generic names. But in general, like there's people who just like, I don't care about strategy games, but when you got a cool party game, you know, count me in. That still didn't work out as much as I'd like, but that was the general idea. And now as I've gotten a more concrete group of people, I have tried to basically now sometimes we get too many people who want to come and some of my games can only accommodate four to six people. And so now it's, I'm kind of leaning towards being more rigorous like Ken is where like I decide what game we're going to play. And then based on that, who's coming, you know, kind of put out a general invite uh, just because the other ask the other approaches just haven't seemed to work. So that's been my experience. 
one thing I would like to comment on is that, you know, Tim and I obviously both have fairly large game collections. We are pretty hardcore in what we want to play or want to get to a table. It is definitely possible that we have listeners who really aren't that hardcore, just have mm-hmm. a game or two they like to play and you just mm-hmm. want to have friends over for that. And that is entirely valid. And I oh, have yeah, friends absolutely. who have me come over and play one of the two games that they have. And I know when I go to their house, which game I'm playing just because that's the game they own and like, and that mm-hmm. is an entirely valid way to host a board game event. I uh, don't feel like you have to be a master uh, collector of games before you can start having people over for a party or, or board game night. No, I think that's a really good point because like, so I, I'm coming into this conversation a little bit selfishly because I am considering hosting a board game night at the end of the month. Sarah, are you cheating on us? I feel like it's cheating. I really do. That's part of the reason I haven't hosted one because we have such a good thing going. But so we have a friend coming into town, Kelly. And she and her husband, I feel like, could get into some board games. Mm -hmm. And I was like thinking maybe when they're in town, could have like some drinks on the deck, maybe play one of the three games that I own. There you go. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Or I know Ken will sometimes bring <laughs> bring games to any party he's going to. I think Ken and I are both probably guilty of the uh, the old secret board games in the trunk. You know, yep. if anything comes up, you you just you never know. You know, I actually lost uh, a bunch of my board games one time when I, I was had uh, two oh, no. bigger boxes of board games in the back of my truck when I was driving. To a, to a party that I had no reason whatsoever to be bringing board games to. I didn't put the gate of my truck up when, uh, a pickup truck up when I was uh, pulling away. So when I arrived at the party, oh, no. I had lost one of my two boxes of games. So about, about you know, six or eight games that I had in there, completely, uh, completely lost and gone. Yeah, that, Dude, that, was, guts uh, that me. was tragic. That guts me. And I don't, I don't remember that we ever even played any of the games from the other box that, at that party either. So like I said, mm-hmm. there was no reason for me to have those games back there. I just, you know, felt like I had to have them, but yeah. Kind of circling back to the point of variety though. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, for the most part, the reason why Ken and I have a lot is first of all, we know we like board games, so we have a lot of them. And sometimes it's nice to have variety to pick from because if you're really into it, you just, you, you want some options. You're not really sure what you're going to be in the mood for, but like that doesn't invalidate if you only have a few games that you know you're hardcore about. Hell yeah, man, go for it. Okay, so if I say that we're going to play Talisman at yeah. the end of the month, you'll come? Sure, oh, I'll be there. Uh, let me, let me, oh, <laughs> my, my calendar, I, I don't, can you accept invites on these? I don't, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I think you're out of, are you out of town that weekend? I'm out of town at the end of the month. Yeah, I'm going to Prague, which is cool. It's for work, but nonetheless. Still super cool. It is pretty cool. I've never been really out of the country except for at a fancy schmancy, you know, vacation with Turks and Caicos. I've never actually been like like in Europe or anything like that. So that's pretty, pretty exciting. Nice. We're losing all those listeners that like board games and find travel boring. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're just like, oh, God. And he's cultured. I can't relate to this. All right. All right. But back, to our, back to the topic at hand where we're talking about variety. Tim, let's call a spade a spade. You have a Kickstarter addiction. And that's why you have so whoa, much variety. Whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Addiction? Mm-mm-mm. I just, I know what I want. Okay. And in reality, I, hold on, I'm, I'm going to do the math in my head real quick. I'm pretty sure the amount of games I've, I've actually done a Kickstarter for, it's still, it's still not on two, it's, it doesn't fill up two hands. I do know that. 
It's only very specific ones. Um, but I do have a, I have a big collection. Um, if anybody has seen uh, the Box Throne, uh, the Box Throne gaming shelves, they uh, I have three full of three of those full, and then I have on top of that, oh sorry, the, stacked twice high. So I've got two stacks of those, three rows of those, and then the tiny shelves on top of it. So it's it's a pretty sizable collection. We'll have to put a picture on our Instagram. Yep. I think yep. I think we should. I think we should. But I overall I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a minor aside here for a minute and say that if you really have any more than that, unless you are playing all the time, there's no chance in hell you're gonna get to play all of them. If anything, I mostly have it for like variety and choice, but even with doing a fairly consistent bi weekly board game night, like you might touch each one once or twice a year. Um, and then you'll have favorites that maybe you touch, you know five six seven times a year you know tim's hot take anybody who has more games than he does is doing it wrong (laughs) yeah i'm gonna come in hot with pretty much anything if we have any listeners left like it's gonna be awesome you need to have more games than sarah fewer games than tim you need Mm -hmm. to be the right age group you need to like traveling (laughs) yeah um let's see here who else can i just completely just wipe off the map you know anybody who doesn't like pineapple on pizza is wrong um okay anybody else all right right. so when you're thinking about doing a board game night like like i am thinking about it very casually so is it better to in your opinion tell people hey i'm thinking about doing a board game night blah 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 or just invite people over and casually bring out your twilight imperium casually (laughs) yeah can you imagine just like i got a small game guys i thought about (laughs) playing and you just wham just that big ass box um yeah i mean kind of read the room you know i i've made it to where i i've gotten comfortable enough with hosting it and i know that i i know a lot of it can be really intimidating if you don't really have a consistent showing it's hard to just want to invite randos you know or people who you don't know very well to come and play not knowing whether or not people are also going to show up and now it's going to be awkward. So that, that advice can be kind of hard to really have a one size fits all sort of, sort of thing. Um, but really I would say start with good friends, you know, ones that trust your opinion and, or just like hanging out with you and, you know, just give it a go, see what, see what they think, you know? And yeah. I think, I think you can't definitely can just, you know, kind of pop a game on a group. You know, again, I, I bring games to things I have no reason to bring them to. And um, I could just, you know, walk into me hanging out with people at a brewery and be kind of shuffling my uh, my skull uh, coasters, uh, the, the cars that are, are coasters. And I'll be shuffling that around. And eventually someone's going to be like, oh, what are those? And I'm like, oh, well, this is a cool game I can teach you. Or, or we'll be at a group and, you know, kind of conversation will die down. And I'll say, like, hey, uh, I've, got, I've got a cool game in uh, in my truck that uh, you guys might want to play. Uh, I'm interested in playing, uh, playing a quick game here and I'll pull something out. And, so, you know, with those kind of things, I'm, I've definitely picked up a reputation in some of my social circles of, you know, have, you know having a box of games in, in the back of my of my car or truck, uh, definitely something that people uh, began to recognize and know. And so if, you know, if I was at an event and it, it was getting slow, people would say, oh, uh, Ken, you want to go grab something for us to play? And sometimes they want something particular. Sometimes I just have mm-hmm. to use my uh, my board game uh sommelier techniques to try to determine what's a good game for the group maybe ask some questions but with that i I definitely realized that 
yeah, it doesn't have to be a particular board game event to, to launch a board game. If there's something in particular I want to play, like you mentioned, if I want to do Twilight Imperium, uh, that has to be a, a, a group that comes in knowing mm-hmm. what they're getting into and knowing what they're doing. It's a, it's a 10 to 12 hour long game for the first time for sure, possibly longer, lots of rules explanations. Any kind of heavier game, I typically want to make sure that people uh, that are playing it at least are, are a little bit more aware of what you know what this gets into. But but definitely, uh, even Christmas at the in-laws, I will you know pop out a game and say, hey, uh, who wants to play something? And it can mm-hmm. be really good in a situation where conversation isn't moving along well or people aren't really uh, you know are ready to, to do something to justify staying across the table from each other uh, instead mm-hmm. of just kind of awkwardly staring at each other and... I think I think we. I really that's got to be another. I'm talking about my parties here, kid. <laughs> I, I think we should probably. Uh, that sounds like another really good topic. I think at some point is maybe talking about good icebreakers or mm-hmm. just good games that like you can just really just inject into like uh, a situation, um, knowing that like it'll land pretty well nine times out of ten. My go-to has been Secret Hitler, for example. It's pretty rare for that to not hit just because people get to yell fascists at one another which is great always great when you can bring hitler into a board game oh yeah yeah Yeah, exactly um everybody knows hitler so right there you know you've already got uh you've got so many friends already Hmm. yeah so and I, i guess another good thing if anybody's like kind of insecure about asking people like to come over for a board game night if you meet someone who's a board game person I think this is one really great quality of board game people. We usually have other board game people friends. Yes. So even if you like don't have enough, you can be like, Hey, you know, I, I talking to you, I, I hear that you like board games. Do you have any other people that you'd want to bring to a board game night? I'm trying to get a group together. Like, I feel like that's not a huge reach for this specific category of hobby. I think in general, also people are a lot more receptive than you might think when it comes to like, you know, if you presented people with, hey, I want to play, you know, I've been wanting to play this game. It's been kind of hard to get people for. I think it's really cool. Um, you might you might actually scoop more people into that than you think. Honestly, the hardest part, which is our whole point of this, is kind of like, how do you coordinate everybody? Uh, that's it's usually generating is, interest is not too difficult. It's more so like really landing the scheduling. Yep. Yeah, the logistics are kind of a nightmare. But actually, speaking of that, does planning a board game night take like a ton of work like what do you guys do to get ready for something like that yeah i I put a lot of thought into it i would say just in terms of you know i look at the people who i know are coming think about what games that they like you know and obviously you're not going to know that with a new crowd also think about like have we learned a new game recently or you know if we have maybe we should just pick up something that we already know how to play so you know they're not learning new games all the time and i'm hoping that slows down too but I'd say that the, the work in, in playing a board game event is, you know, largely in being able to handle handle the invites and RCPs, figuring out what game you're going to play. You know, typically uh, I, I do like to, when I'm having people over, have food involved. So I'll generally order a pizza Absolutely. or something. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's easy. I just order a pizza. I pick up some two liters. Or just potluck it. Yeah, but you can also, yeah, you can also just potluck it. You can... You know, like I do think that that having, you know, even even just having things like chips and, uh, you know, chips and drinks, though. I mean, like it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge production on like you know refreshment side, but the the work is really on the the coordinating uh, schedules and picking out a game. And if you have food that like it's ready to go and you can just throw it in the oven or something, that can really kind of help not 
it, it can really slow a game down if you all kind of like stop in the middle and then go to prep some food and stuff like that. Like if you have a pretty, pretty, like if you uh, miss a whole turn of your <laughs> spirit island because yeah, you're making pizza, a delicious frozen pizza with fresh, fresh garden vegetables. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. If you don't have a group that, you know, is already, you know, pretty well established where, you know, everybody doesn't mind taking a break in the middle of it or, you know, doesn't mind people kind of getting up in the middle. It definitely helps to just have food ready to go and everybody just kind of while it's not their turn, they go and just scoop some food up and go back to the table, that kind of thing. So actually, I want to talk a lot about snacks because I consider myself the unofficial snack captain of our group. (laughs) Snack captain. We can make that formal with uh, snack okay captain with that. of the group. Yep, I, I don't okay host, but I sure as hell am always going to bring something, and it's usually cookies, brownies, cupcakes. One time we played Twilight Imperium, I made cupcakes with all of our different colors. Dude, it was as so icing. So let's let's let, let's talk about the best board game night foods. So like only, my favorites. Only we can call obvious. you snack snackton. All right, snackton. <laughs> So, like, my favorites are obviously going to be, like, the desserts because I like baking. So anything that you like to do anyways is going to mm-hmm. be great if you're a person that likes preparing food. But if you're not, some great options that I've seen, especially at longer board game nights where everybody's going to be, like, snacking a little bit here and there. Like, those little pre-made pinwheel things that you can get at Costco or at, like, the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Costco in general. Totally. Yeah. Any Costco snack is going to be a great snack for a board game night. We need to we need to get a sponsorship from Costco. Sp- yes, <laughs> we, uh, we we use it and, and probably yeah as a as a reference. Yes, definitely. The board game triangle endorses the Costco executive <laughs> membership. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, become a board game triangle gold member. I could I could totally do adverts for Costco in my sleep. It would be so easy because I'm hype on them anyways. But yeah, let's, same let's same. Be done with the free advertising. <laughs> Other than the fact that honestly, snacks like their chocolate chip cookies are amazing. If you don't want to bake cookies. Like if you have a bigger group and you want multiple frozen pizzas, they got that. Here's mm-hmm. one thing I would say uh, for maybe your first couple times that you host, like don't be afraid to maybe go a little all out, you know, like yep. if people see that you like you care and you like set up a really cool like situation, people will come back. Like, yep. even if that just means it is a potluck, but you like you make an awesome dish or something like that, you know, like make it more of an event and not just like, Oh, we're hanging out, you know, like, I, I think that kind of goes a long way. Then you can go a little bit more lighthearted right. with it, but you know, really put some effort in your first few times. I think I've often hosted a big Halloween party, or uh, this year I you know, had had people over for uh, for the Fourth of July, and yeah, generally when I'm when I'm hosting those kind of things, I will do you know lots of different finger foods and appetizers. Um, you know, if if, if you if you're, uh, you're if your group of people are into it, you know, having uh, having some fun cocktails or, uh, or or beer selections or. But, you know, having things that make it make it feel a little special uh, food wise can definitely help make it feel like something more that people want to regularly be putting on their schedule and doing than OK, uh, tonight I'm free. Why don't we come over and try to play checkers, you know, you know, and this is all the more reason also to try and make sure that, you know, people RSVP to, you know, especially in the early ones. And people will probably be a little bit more on top of it if, when you're first doing it. Um, well, that was certainly the case with mine, but you know, as people get more chill with you, you know, it's just kind of a little bit more ad hoc, but 
Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, so what I'm hearing here is that episode five is going to be me discussing the art of putting together a fantastic charcuterie board. That's absolutely. What, that's what well, two of the three of us have already gone through a class of, sh- of charcuterie. So, Ooh. yeah, if you can take a charcuterie board class, it's so much fun. And it's so helpful when you're hosting things. If Our audience spend, is getting like, more and more disconnected. They're like, now they make charcuterie <laughs> boards from scratch? <laughs> They make yeah. their cookies, Jesus. So yeah. we, we we managed three episodes before we completely went off the rails. That's uh, <laughs> that's great, guys. Okay, <laughs> boy, right. so, it sure be great to be upper middle class, guys. You know, I'll I'll say this though. I think that both of you are really good at communicating with the people who are coming to the board game night. Is this? Like, bring snacks if you want to. I'll have stuff. Or is this mm-hmm. potluck? And if so, like, what are we all bringing? What's that? Like, I think y'all are really good at coordinating that and telling people what's up. I mean, I'm always going to show up with a pan of brownies no matter what. But <laughs> I mean, there's nothing worse than, like, going to a thing where you're not sure if there's food there or not. Like, yep. do I eat before? Like, at the bare minimum, just say if there's food or not. You know, like, yep. that that's fine. I, I usually have kind of a rule of BYOB because a lot of people have different choices of drink that they like. And so I'll just say, bring that. I'll have the food and snacks. Just yep. bring drinks. I don't want to have to worry about, you know, having something that you like. So food's but a little also, bit I, I easier. Think there's there's no shame in the game of of saying, hey, once y'all are here, we're going to order. Like, that too. You don't yeah, have yeah, to that, cook food or Oh, anything. hell no. Absolutely. Pull pull some money together. Absolutely. Um, then then you also don't have to manage food like that. That's nice. Yep. There's yeah. many ways you could go about it, for sure. It is annoying both if you show up at a party having not eaten and and there's no food planned or if you, you know, grab something, grab some fast food on the way. And then everybody's like, hey, let's order pizza. It's like, well, I would have joined you for pizza, but I just ate <laughs> or worse like they have really good food and like you you already ate and you're like oh i wanted some all like i wanted all this yeah it's, so, that's you know, important. E- either way that communication i think is, is definitely important yes little mini so are there any other are, are there any other surrounding things around you know just like logistical before we kind of get into like okay well now you're starting to run the game night like what's that look like is there any other odds and ends that we can think of so yeah well, one thing that would that was really big during uh, during the lockdown that can still be convenient is is doing uh, doing your board game online, so that can help with people who maybe can have a free evening but have kids that that need to be uh, monitored at the house while while they're doing it. I did more more board gaming during lockdown than I've ever done before in my life and have done since because everybody was home every night looking for something to do, and so uh, you know there are definitely a lot of online tools that can be useful for things like that. Can, you know, just meet up and do things at, at a park or a library if, if home isn't good. I think for this focus, we're going to be looking more at, at, you know, posting a home party. But if you are trying to do this and it just isn't working and you can't find ways to do it, there are definitely other options and other approaches. Yeah, it's definitely good to think about. That's true. That's true. I mean, one other logistical thing that I think is kind of important when you're hosting anything is like if you're having people over, it's good to like make sure everything's tidy. You don't have to like scrub your floors with a toothbrush or anything, but like I think it's definitely noticed and appreciated when things are nicer. Like oh yeah, bathrooms cleaned and that guys kind clean, of thing. clean your house. I'm gonna say it. Just clean your fucking yeah. house. Oh, all man. right. Yep. Now now we've lost all the untidy people <laughs> and and yes. these are my people because this is another reason that I don't host very often. I 
am not a clean freak kind of person, but I am a, a Southern lady. So Ooh. I do notice uh, things. Oh, oh. <laughs> I won't judge my own house, but I'll judge. No, I won't. I won't. All right. Judge so we've lost house. all the Northerners now. <laughs> so they're gone. <laughs> you know. But guys, yeah, clean your house, clean yourself. All right. And then use, <laughs> use deodorant for God's sake. All right. The bare minimum trifecta to hosting. All right. Yeah. So, so maybe maybe we should talk about how to actually pick a game. Uh, get back get back to our topics here. Um, no, no, no. I need to trash our audience more. <laughs> All right. So, let's see. For for our three listeners left, let's talk about um, <laughs> let's talk about I guess you know actually running I your hope game. We now. have three listeners. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I feel pretty good. Wow, I, I didn't think we had. that I mean, we had five trashing. originally. It was just, it was just luck of the draw. All right. So, <laughs> so now, uh, in terms of actually running a game, I think it's really important, really, really important, especially for early ones with new people who aren't familiar, especially if they're not familiar with board games. You need to know the game that you teach. You need to know yes. it in and out. Do not need to look up rules. It will just absolutely kill any of the like vibe that you have going to like pour through a rule book. I don't even care if it's easy to find. Yep. Don't know the know the game in and out for your first game. Yep. Man, I feel attacked because I brought an I brought my copy of Railroad Inc. to your house and tried to teach people to play it. I couldn't explain it. See, no, that's different. <laughs> like I will have you guys jump into games where like I still don't know the full ins and outs because like we'll all figure it out together and we all right. are like, oh yeah, he needs to look up a rule. Like I get it. Like that's gonna affect his turn, you know, and it, it doesn't matter with us. But if you are getting people on board to a game, like nothing nothing kills the momentum more than you having to look yep. in a rule book. And th- and that does that does limit for this this these first few games uh, or game events you're planning how complex a game you're going to be doing because there are games that you will always have to look up rules for uh, Mage Knight being one of those like I you know I have a friend who plays Mage Knight all the time and he still constantly has to look up rules because it is that complex a game mm-hmm. uh, that's not a game to bring out for your first hosting event um, you, you you need to have a game that. I was going to let people have a, a a smooth easy intuitive experience so pick something that. You've played multiple times yourself. If you don't have a gaming circle to be able to play it with, at least like have have done some mock games with it and watch some. I, I've said I'm just a how to play, but a let's play where you see people actually playing the game, understand kind of how the flow of it works. Mm-hmm. You, you need to know this game for your for your first event really really well because that's what's going to make people think, oh, I should come back because they will they'll help me learn a game. We might play the same game again the second time. If, mm-hmm. if that first game is a is is a bog. Um, you're going to have a really hard time getting people to come back. So um, definitely pick a game you know uh, very well. And I would say, even if you know the game really well, don't pick a game that you basically have to send someone a giant 35-minute YouTube video on how to play it, because that also says, isn't going to... Says that's the not man happen. who has sent out a 35-minute YouTube video to a Teams, <laughs> like a Discord chat. Again, do do as I say, not as I do. Okay, so... The, it's it's more so like with our audience also like I'm more so giving that to you guys in case you want to come in a little bit more prepared but I'm still going to teach you the game but yeah. overall like I think all that's going to do for newbies is just intimidate them like I have to watch this whole video like just to play this game like it's and it's not, not necessarily happen. it's not necessarily a bad idea to use that YouTube video um, when your friends come over so you can yeah. you can have that pull it up on your uh, on your smart TV you know, crowd around your phone. It's probably not great to crowd everyone on a phone, but to play that, play that video and then answer questions people have, 
isn't a bad idea because they, they will do a lot of things where they will uh, set things up differently and they will they will walk through things that would be a bit of a pain for you to do if you're doing it yourself. Yep, that's true. That's true. Now, to that to that end, though, I know that uh, I know that Sarah doesn't necessarily like that approach all that much either, though. Yep. Do you remember one time we were at your your house, Tim? playing dune imperium which was my game that i brought and i didn't know how to play it so we all just watched a youtube video and it was fine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean youtube videos like they're fine i just i think that there's just people also who will just kind of like space out and they would just rather learn it from you yep so and i mean you'll run into that anyway with while you're teaching people just they only have such an attention span. Um, okay. I and teaching game is, is not Tim. easy either. <laughs> I feel attacked again. <laughs> I, and I have no attention span. So when people explain rules to me, I am like doing the, the, like the meme with like the math on this. Like, I just, I can't compute. I have to like actually be playing it, which is why I mentioned, like, I think last, last session, like I really like doing fake rounds of a game before we start playing just to get the mechanics of it, especially on something more complex, like a spirit Island or a, a TI. Like it's very nice to have. Oh, like definitely that. consider doing that where you just have yep. a throw, a throwaway turn or two and then, and then really start the game. That's definitely yep. a good, a good place to start. Yep. Also uh, just, you know, setting up some, uh, some potential play scenarios to be able to show how, how things interact. Cause um, you know, games that might have, you know, battle mechanics later in the game, but don't have that early. You can set that up early on to be able to show like, this is what a battle would look like. And this is mm-hmm. what, you know, this is how uh, the pieces move and mm-hmm. things like that. So uh, th- those kind of, uh, of demo scenarios are, are really good when, uh, when you're, when you're teaching it. Oh, um, also have the game set up and ready to go. Yes. Um, that's another good one. Uh, especially, uh, when it comes to teaching, uh, feel free. If you know that there's like kind of edge cases that are maybe a little complicated to understand, have everything rigged up with those edge cases ready to explain. So this way people can see that. Um, I mean, if you look at any good uh, teaching YouTube video, they do those sorts of things where they just set up, you know, these situations right out the gate with like, you know, all the different aspects that need to be in place to, you know, trigger that scenario and, you know, just kind of explain that. But also don't get caught up too much in all the edge cases because chances are, you know, first playthrough, you're probably not going to have to worry about that too much. Um, it's going to be rare for you to bump into those things. Just have, have the knowledge in the back of your head for when they come up. So this way you don't have to look up the rules, but you don't need to explain every single tiny little thing, especially, uh, and that that's like a whole nother thing in terms of teaching a fairly complex game and kind of figuring out what's the right amount to teach for a game. But hopefully you're picking a game that's somewhat easy to explain and you don't have to worry too much about a bunch of nuances. This brings up a great point, though. Like, how do you pick a game when you're hosting a game night? Like, do you pick a general game that you want to play? Do you match it to the styles of the people that you play with? How do you pick a game like that? So if you have two games, the answer to that question is one of the games that you have. Um... (laughs) Again, feeling very attacked. No, no, no. You buy a new game every game night. This is how you build the collection. That is also a thing I've done, yes. Um, (laughs) But no, I'd say that, you know, yeah, I I think it is good to have the game uh, selected before people show up Mm -hmm. so that you can, like Tim had mentioned, have it already set up and ready to go. You know, if 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 your friends have to wait 45 minutes while you 
unbox all the pieces and and and, and get the whole thing set up uh, for the first playthrough. That that is all downtime that they're not really being able to enjoy the game, obviously because of that. But even your company, because you're focused on trying to get this game set up. So yep. um, the more you can have that that ready and, and available ahead of time. Um, if you're not going to have a lot of time to do a setup, if you want to like have people come over for dinner and then then set up a game, um, definitely think about how long the game takes to set up and, and selecting that game. Uh, That's a, a really faster good game point. setup is is important if you are going to be having to flip a table quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to your point, Ken, also like if you're spending 45 minutes setting it up, that's actually there's a lot that could be said about having a game already set up and the presentation that that provides like that, mm-hmm. that, that alone can get people like hyped to play. They like see all this stuff set up and you can even, even spend some time like making it look nice, you know, like mm-hmm. neatly organizing pieces. Like you'd be surprised what little things like that really add up and really make people like ache, aching to play that game. Games that can be good for, for, you know, doing this kind of thing are, are definitely games that have uh, a lot of tactile uh, engagement. So dice games, games mm-hmm. with cool little uh, figures and, and tokens that people are working with mm-hmm. uh, games that have uh, really bright colors and, and pretty themes. You, you are, you're definitely as someone who's just starting trying to host an event wanting this to be an experience. And so it doesn't have to be a complex, uh, you know, best game ever kind of experience, but having a, a pretty fun, tactile kind of a thing. Um, one of my favorite games to do for events with new groups and things is uh, is King of Tokyo because you, you have the dice rolling, you have cool monsters, people love, uh, love, love the characters. It has a fairly high luck component, so, uh, so people often uh, do better than their choices necessarily should merit or uh, if they do make bad choices and lose because of them, they can blame them on the dice, which makes them have more fun. But those are the kind of things you want to be thinking about when looking at that game, assuming the person is okay with dice. Um, you definitely have people who, you know, really, really get mad when the dice don't go their way. And, you know, obviously those people uh, try to steer away from dice games. I think that brings us to, you know, when, when picking a game, there might be some fun questions you can ask your group, you know, it could be like, you know, what games have you liked or not liked before? Or do dice rolls bring you joy or inexplicable anger? Or, you know, uh, are there any, do you view unexpected, you know, obstacles as a challenge or a nuisance? You know, think about, think about some of these questions that you could, you know, pose to people uh, and you might be able to get a better feel for what sorts of things they might be interested in. Particularly for social deduction kind of games, asking people if they, you know, enjoy or hate lying to their friends and trying to hold a straight face um, is a huge filter. Uh, People will generally have a very strong reaction, pro or con on that. And if they, you know, if they're like, oh, no, I hate hate those kind of games. I hate that kind of, you know, hate hate having to try to, you know, talk to people uh, on the spot and justify why I did the thing I did. Yeah, social deduction game, probably not for them. If people are like, oh, yes, uh, you know, I always love trying to see who I can trick. They will likely love that, and, and you can that it becomes an element. So again, when you're, when you're trying to, to craft this group, uh, you either craft the group to a game you can play, or you have to end up picking a game based on who is coming. And in either way, if if one of the people is going to really hate playing a social deduction game, the fact that four other people might love it is really not going to make it a fun night for the group. If one person is going to really hate it, you you're going to have a challenge. I mean, and, I think we talked about this when we talked about like good starter games. I think the same thing could be said about starting a new board game night kind of deal in that like theme is going to be really important too. like how important are themes to you? Do you want something 
that's rather basic that, you know, doesn't really tell too much of a story? Or do you want to dive into like, you know, I'm a pharmacist. So if I have like a group of pharmacists coming over, what I'm, what am I going to have out? Like maybe I have out cytosis because who doesn't want to like turn true, true. <laughs> like protein, like turn things into proteins and all kinds of stuff. But that yes. might not suit most audiences. Who 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 doesn't dream of turning proteins into uh, into other proteins and things? Yes, that is that's clearly a a, a universal truth of, of gaming. Oh you yeah, know. did someone say did someone say protein synthesis? Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> you know. But like that's a, I I just think that's a good example of like you know matching the theme to the group. If you've mm-hmm. got you know a bunch of computer programming type people maybe you mm-hmm. would dive into something more related to that or like techie people you might dive in mm-hmm. what's that cell phone game oh, the one that's um, like you, you're like a cell phone manufacturer oh uh uh god smartphone ink smartphone yep. ink like that is not a game that i would play with everyone but if you had like businessy minded people i don't know maybe you would play that one mm-hmm. if spreadsheets we- really get your rocks off man cell phone ink or a smartphone ink yep. is, is great. But, uh, <laughs> and, and that really, I mean, you know, how, how analytical and, and strategic if you want to be, how, how competitive, I mean, like knowing again, if are the people, are, is someone going to be really uncomfortable with, uh, you know, hyper competitiveness? Uh, do, do people want to just like have a joyous celebration of a story and adventure together? Are they going to be mad if, uh, if, if they were being stabbed in the back by someone? Do you want to play a game like Root, where you only know your rules and everyone else is playing a different game? Like that could be really confusing. Probably not for your first board game night. Oh God, yeah, yeah Root is a terrible choice for a first, like a first real like game night, for sure. I can you definitely know, think I, I can definitely think of a lot of wrong choices, but there's there's a lot of right choices too, and yep. it, it, more than anything, like. I think it's easy to be discouraged if you hear this giant long list of, of demands basically from us of what makes sense to do and what doesn't. But uh, I think Ken made a really good point earlier, which is, you know, if you only have two board games, that's what you got, you know, and this is more so as your collection maybe matures and then you start maybe thinking more actively about doing a game night like or getting other people involved other than a very small circle of yours where it's just maybe, you know, your significant other or maybe one other two people. These are the sorts of things to consider as either your collection grows or just in general. If you're picking those two games, well, which one might be better? But it doesn't matter the size. So don't, we, we do speak to it like you do have a, a, you know, maybe collection of, you know, five to 10, maybe a little bit more, but it doesn't really matter the size. So No, I really think that's a great point, Tim, because... Honestly, as we're talking through this and I'm thinking about the end of the month and am I going to be bringing out a board game for this like little deck party, what we've talked about has kind of made me a little bit indecisive on whether I want to do that because it sounds very daunting, but you saying that reminds me like, no, because like in college we had board game nights and it was just like you bring a six pack of your favorite beer and we order pizza and the bathrooms are disgusting and we still had the times of our lives and those are times that I will always cherish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's the group, you know, and if you don't have like a super strong group, maybe put a little bit more flourish on it to, yeah, to try absolutely. to keep that group going so you can build that rapport with everybody, but it doesn't have to be a big production. It can be no, something no. really small. Yeah. You, but, you have to know your audience, of course. Yep. Uh, but I mean, we, we are taking, taking uh, for granted, you know, 
that a lot of people will not have the luxury of having a large collection. So, uh, don't don't be discouraged by that is really you know the biggest point that I wanted to make is that I started with a small collection too and really it was one of those things that kind of exploded exponentially like rather than gradually like I probably had a good four or five games that I loved and like Scythe was like a really big go-to for me maybe I, I was lucky that I had people that were interested in board games so I could get away with you know Scythe is definitely on the higher end of complexity for newcomers So, uh, but thematically it sucks people right in and sometimes that's all you need, right? You just, a game that people look at it, they go, dude, this game is cool. And I might be willing to spend a little bit more time learning this than maybe I normally would because I, it looks cool. And so you just, you get a feel for that over time as well. As you introduce new people to games, you see what their reaction is like and you go, okay, I can win people over with this game more than I thought, or, oh no, like. You know, as soon as I started to teach this, their eyes glossed over. It was over, you know, like you you just you get a feel for it over time and you just, you know, take it, uh, take the advice of people who have tried to teach X or Y, see what they said about it. So, yeah, two of the first board games I I bought were uh, were were Bang and Diplomacy. Diplomacy, I have yet to ever actually play. <laughs> For years, I tried to put together groups to play Diplomacy. Now that I played play Twilight Imperium, I probably will never play Diplomacy because I don't know if there's ever going to be a case where I would rather play Diplomacy than Twilight. But it's a game I, I, I was one of the first two or three games I bought, never got to a table. Bang, for a long time, um, we just play play Bang, four player. And I mean, I feel like Bang is probably a game that is better with five or six players, but four players is what we had and that's what we played. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are definitely games I'd say at this point that are are way better than that as a as a game, but uh, we enjoyed playing it. We enjoyed the theme of it. We enjoyed goofing around with the innuendo of uh, of uh, playing a game called Bang, and it was fun. Like we didn't have to have big collections or huge amounts of knowledge. Once you get through that initial uh, teach, we didn't play different games every every you know month. We just played the same game all the time. And that's that's fine. Yeah, I knew another group who they played Terraforming Mars like easily like a hundred times, you know, 200 times that year. Like that was just the game that they just played a bunch. Um, mm-hmm. And then when he came over and played against us, he absolutely destroyed us. Um, yep. so, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there there's people who definitely just latch on to some games and, you know, there's no reason why you can't be one of those people who just, you found a game that really speaks to you and you want to get more people involved. So I'm going to have a total asking for a friend moment here, but if you Uh. are a person who enjoys board games, has a, you know, decent board game circle of friends, and you want to host a board game night, but your collection is, say, maybe three or four games, how do you feel about maybe hooking up with one of the people that you know that has more games and be like, hey, I want to host a night, but I don't have a ton of games. Do you want to co-host with me? I think people are always excited to do that. Like, I mean, I'm always, honestly, that's why I like hosting. Like I like sharing my collection. So if somebody else is just like, you know, like I I think this is a really good segue, Sarah, because I think that one thing that I frequently, you know, I try not to take for granted, but it's easy to is by having people over all the time. Like that's not a small ask on their part, even if you provide food and stuff like that. Like, Especially, you know, if you're, we're kind of lucky that we're close-ish together. You know, it's, you know, Ken, a 20-minute drive, you know, Sarah, Mm -hmm. a 10-minute drive. But like, you know, some people that might be a really far drive or it's a stressful drive. And, you know, then you got to drive back. You can't really drink as much as you want because you have to drive. Um, You know, so there's, uh, 
there's definitely benefits to hosting at home. So like kind of trading off on, on hosting, like it's definitely a, a nice thing to do. And an easy way to do that is one person has the collection or you have a group who community pools together money for a collection and you just kind of, kind of share it. And I would definitely say that there are definitely differing feelings you will find among board game owners about loaning out their games. You definitely have some people who are going to be super worried about one of their cards or pieces getting uh, getting lost or, or bent or damaged. Or dropped in a glass of beer. Yep. And, and, never and happened. Those, that's never um, happened ever. Never happened. But, um, so, so there are some people who are worried about that. And you know, Tim and I are, are definitely both very comfortable saying, you know, yeah, if one of our friends wants to borrow a game, I am not playing most of my games most of the time. I also trust most of my friends to not be reckless with my games. So that's also a little different. So like I would trust you guys in a heartbeat to borrow my stuff because you guys care about what you own. And like there are other people who I probably wouldn't trust, you know, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I would never ask someone to borrow a game and then not invite them to the board game night that I was planning. Well, no, no. I just mean in general, like some people are just not comfortable with loaning them because they're not sure how people will treat them. That's true. The first time I played Caverna, I had borrowed it from a person I just met. I was over at their house as a friend of a friend for dinner. I saw the game on the shelf. I was like, oh, I've always wanted to play that. Uh, They said, oh, yeah, we haven't been able to get to a table and, you know, don't really have time to be able to schedule to be able to do it in the near future. So I I borrowed it. Yeah, I did invite them, Sarah, but they weren't able to make it. And uh, I've now twice played, uh, played with their copy of the game and have, they still don't think I've ever actually played the game, but... I did definitely invite them both times. They just weren't able to make it. And uh, that was somebody that at the time did not know me very well, but uh, still chose to uh, to loan me that. And so you know, if you if you do have games, you can loan them. That's great. Uh, definitely. It is nice if you if you have some trust in the person because uh, it does not take too much carelessness for someone to really mess up one of your games. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to and to that end, and this is something that I think we as a trio have kind of made more of an effort towards now. Try not to overlap on games a lot. Uh, it just, unless you really love a game, which there's, t- you know, there's totally valid reason for you to own this, own a copy of a game the same as your friend if you're, you know, even if you play games together a lot. But I think that's another way you can easily save money is just, you know, everybody kind of like trade off on owning different copies of different games. Uh, yeah, maybe if you're about. playing a game at someone's house and you love it so much Ask them, hey, would you let me borrow this before you buy it on Amazon <laughs> while you're sitting at their house? And yes, I'm talking about Railroad Inc. Eh, I mean, it, there's a big difference between like a $10 right. or $20 game versus like an $80 to $100 game, which they're quickly yep. approaching. Yep. Um, so just something to think about. I mean, you, uh, for me, like it's not really a barrier. For, for me, it's space is more the barrier and also like me reasonably considering whether I'll have time to play amongst my other stuff but like i know that i'm fortunate that that's my limitation is space but you know other people like they're you know it's it's easy to be monetarily strapped so just work work together and building a collection together that can be a really nice way to you know work with a a borrowed game as well if uh if you can play see if your friends like it that's one of the big things that in trying to decide whether to buy a game and and also uh to host it um i definitely will watch uh let's plays on, on YouTube, just watch people play the game, seeing what they like and don't like about the game and how that, you know, how that dynamic functions and try to think like, you know, would my friends react that way? When, 
when that uh, that that car comes out at the very end of the game and makes someone have to restart and lose, um, would my friends uh, chuckle and say, "Oh, that's funny," <laughs> like they did in the video, or would they, you know, rage quit and leave and tell me they're never speaking to me again? And watching the video uh, helps me figure that out. Yeah, yeah. So, couple couple more things to cover before we wrap up. How do we, you know, when, you, when you've got people there, you've explained the game to them, you've picked the perfect game, taught them the rules, it's fantastic, everyone's eating snacks in an appropriate way. <laughs> <laughs> how do you make sure people are engaged when they're playing? Like, or how do you gauge that? Or do you? Or do you just let them do their own thing? Ooh, that's, that's, that's tough. Because you also start to enter on the territory of table etiquette. Yep. And I mean, I would say that I, I might have some stronger feelings towards table etiquette maybe than others in terms of just like, I don't want somebody who's on their phone the entire time because I'm here to like hang out with, with the person. Like, obviously, I'm not going to get on somebody who, you know, they're, they're, you know, significant others at home with a kid or something and they need to text them, whatever. Like, obviously, I'm never going to, you know, make a big deal about that. But that could also be a sign that they're not engaged. And, you know, maybe you can ask them if they're, if they understand, you know, the game, if there's rules they're stuck on. Also, this kind of goes back to knowing the game like the back of your hand. Honestly, don't even think much about your turn. Just do something stupid, you know, on your turn, if it means like your turn is fast. And then that gives you time to help other people. Your priority should be them having a good time because from that point on, you will be able to probably easily be able to relax and enjoy yourself knowing that like they, they understand the game and that also makes them better competitors because they understand the game well. Just overall, focus more on their understanding and their enjoyment and make sure that, you know, they don't have any questions. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing to focus on throughout the whole thing. Yeah, trying to keep track of, of someone who seems like they're getting distracted or, or bored is definitely you want to try to do as a host. And it can feel uh, very helpless if you're realizing that you're you're losing the table. But, you know, I think I think things that can be helpful with that are to do things like, you know, ask someone about what they're what they're looking at next or compliment them on on strategic moves and plays they did things that kind of help pull them back to the game and show that you know you're paying attention to what they're doing and are, are interested and excited about their possibilities even if it's just commiserating over the fact that they're you know they had uh, some really bad luck on the on that last round I'm like yeah that, that's that's really hard i thought i thought you're gonna do better on on that than you did and especially you know, mm-hmm. if you're teaching a game they'll be able to go and you know say hey like you know you you know how, how are you feeling about what, what you're gonna do next you you know you kind of understand what's going on do you yeah, you know, clarification on, on things. It can be helpful to try to rope that person back in, but it, it can be hard. It, it can be definitely mm-hmm. hard if, you know, if you made a bad pick for the game and someone is, is, is checking out, it can be hard if uh, people, someone is, is losing and, and really feeling bad about that to, uh, to make them have uh, have a good time with it. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe to that end, board games aren't for everybody. You know, I mean, I, we all want to believe that they are, but you know, you can make an honest effort and honestly it's, it, it's unfortunate, but it could just be that there was just this one bad experience and maybe they actually would like board games. It's just, this happened to not pan out this time around. And now they just, they don't want to try again. Well, you, you, know, you know, you're you're not gonna be able to convince them otherwise and that's okay. Maybe they just need some caffeine. That's all I'm Ooh, saying. Throw maybe, on a pot maybe. of coffee, get them back <laughs> in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this and, is coming and, from me. I, I can't play a game if I'm not adequately caffeinated because my, my attention span fades out but actually as we're talking about this i realized that both of you are very good at doing this like assessing commenting on 
how other people's games are going so that you don't feel like you're sitting at the table in a silo. Like mm-hmm. I know Ken, you've during games of twilight Imperium, when I was like so far behind, <laughs> you've made a point to say like, Oh no, like there's definitely ways that you can win this. And like, mm-hmm. you don't tell me how to win. Cause that would obviously ruin your game, but mm-hmm. you do like point me in the direction that like, I don't give up hope. I think that's a really good thing to do too. Just make sure that no one's given mm-hmm. up hope because it can be miserable if you're at a table and you care a lot about mm-hmm. winning. Like mm-hmm. maybe say you're a really competitive person, which let's be real, I'm mm-hmm. not. But if you are a really competitive person and it's very clear you're not going to win, you know, maybe help them realize that it's not over or if it mm-hmm. is like very clearly over that there's still lots of fun that they can have interacting with other people's games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's okay to basically, you know, be honest with people if they are actually out of the yep. running. Um, so this way they'll believe you when you say that they are not, out, you know, out of the running. Um, I think that that goes a long way. Uh, but also, even if they're out, like, you can kind of say, like, you know, here's some ways that you can optimize what you're doing. You know, you can still get a better feel for, like, this mechanic while you're, you know, while you're at it and, like, Really just emphasize that you don't even care if you, you know, you yourself win. You just, you know, you want Mm -hmm. them to have a good time. So you're just focused on, you know, them improving as a player. So this way, next time they'll do a better job, you know, like, or just have, you know, or maybe they just won't have bad luck this time like they did, you know, because that absolutely happens in games where you just, things just don't pan out. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how good you are. All right. So we're at the end of our game. We've taught the rules beautifully. We've played. We've kept everyone engaged. Now the million-dollar question in planning a board game night, how do you get people to come back? How do you get that recurring commitment from the people at your table? Nothing like ju- just dropping a small little hint of, you know, hey, guys, like, I- I'm glad you were able to make it. I hope you really enjoyed the game, you know? Like, I've, I've been looking to do, you know, like, a more recurring sort of thing for this. So, like, let me know if you'd be in for that, you know? It'd be... And it'd be very much like we just did tonight, you know, maybe same mm-hmm. game, different game, you know. Um, one thing that does happen a lot that you can usually use to, to gauge interest. Now, this does hinge a little bit more on maybe having like a slightly larger collection. But like then people, as they see this game, they're like, oh, but what's this mm-hmm. game? Like as soon as you start people seeing doing that, you've got yep. them hooked. So like that's when you can kind of really like pull them in and say, Hey, let's do another game of this. Like ask them what they liked about the game that Mm -hmm. they just played and then point them to something that has some, some related things Um, or ask them what they liked most about Mm -hmm. that game. And you can then, you know, just, you know, take it to, you know, level 11 with, you know, that mechanic that, you know, this other game has, or, you know, or usually they also want to get a sense of just like what else is out there. So you might even take them in totally opposite direction and just kind of show them, you know, show them different things. So I think that's the easiest gauge is just have your other games available for them to look at and mm-hmm. see, you know, like in or around the vicinity, you know, because I think that's kind of a natural thing that people do afterward is like, this was cool. What else mm-hmm. is there? Yeah, be, be able to show, show show some of the fun components from from games uh, that you, you have that might, they might want to do, you know, either either immediately next, uh, you know, if, if you still have more time on the clock or you know, some other time when they come over, my, my, my pitch for cash and guns is always, do you want to play a game called cash and guns where this foam gun prop is part of the game? And if they, and from that, I get a yes or no, like if people are like, Oh, what kind of game is it? Or how, what, what's the mechanics? Or how do you play? Like, no, 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 no. like 
do you want to play a game called Cash and Guns that lets you point foam guns at your friends? No, that doesn't feel fun to you. Okay, it's probably not probably not the right game. But if if I get a yes, that seems really neat. I mean, that's one I can throw in as a well. Let's just play a quick game before people leave then. But you know, I think it's also uh, very uh, uh, very underrated to just say, hey, like like you mentioned, like you want to come play play the game we just played again. Now that you know how to play it, and we can you you'll be able to do better, and we'll be able to enjoy this, and maybe that becomes your your one and only game you play with that group of people. Maybe after they've played it, they they have more fun with it. Getting any kind of an ongoing regular commitment, though, I mean, that I feel is one of the biggest banes of being an older adult trying to get people together for anything. You know, doing Twilight mm-hmm. Imperium is hard because you need a long, a long commitment. Trying to do uh, King's Dilemma that, that Tim's been wanting to try to do for a while is hard because it's an ongoing regular commitment. Uh, D&D. With the same you know, group, the same group of, people. of people. D&D, same thing. If you need to get the same, you know, uh, making a podcast, uh, you know, getting the same group of people to be willing to interact with each other on a regular basis on a schedule is, is very, very hard, especially, you know, as, mm-hmm. as older adults, right? You say, you know, high school, yeah, your friends will come over and they'll spend the entire summer playing the same game a thousand times. And you those know, are the days, uh, college, you know, people will do the same thing, except they will do it straight through the night as well as during the day <laughs> you will, uh, you can play a game for, uh, 36 hours straight and, uh, find out how what does this game feel like when you've gone without sleep for three days and feel like you're on drugs uh what (laughs) you're wearing the same hoodie on sunday that you were wearing on friday and it's got pizza sauce on it and your hair is a mess and you're on your fifth bottle of like red bull (laughs) i don't hear anything wrong with this picture yeah, no, things, great. Thing, things great. that you can do in college. And so if, if you're the last time you got a gaming group together was was in college or in high school, um, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be harder to get the first game going. It's going to be harder to get a next one. Mm-hmm. It might not be next week. It may not be next month till you get these people together. You might be able to say, hey, like, you know, maybe in two, three months, uh, we can put something on the calendar and get together again and, and do something like this again. I do think it, it is good to try to start, you know, to, to start prompting the idea of let's let's do this again and see see how people react if it's. Uh, oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, you you may not have a chance with that group anymore. If it's yeah, I would love to. Mm. I'm just busy for the next two months. You know, I'll say hey, well let's let's plan something in the fall. Yeah, I w- I would say my biggest tip is is if you've got people there and you want them to come back, the best thing you can do is before they walk out of your house, get your phones out. Look at your calendars. If you have a, an adequate social calendar on your phone, which I obviously don't because I don't know how to use Google <laughs> Calendar, but I do kind of have an idea about what my schedule is. Find a day that's going to work. And then once you've got like, okay, we've got three people or four people that we know are going to be there, we can each branch out and like try to find other people to fill in the gaps or we can play a smaller game or a game that's only four people to begin with. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if you can get it scheduled and on the calendar early, that's way more likely to happen than counting on yourself to text them later to be like, Hey, remember when you said three weeks ago that we were having fun and you wanted to do mm-hmm. that again? <laughs> do you want to do that again? You know, just go ahead mm-hmm. and schedule it then. That's, that's really helpful. One, one random tip that I just thought about that comes with kind of doing a more potluck sort of thing is people feel a little bit more obligated when they say they're going to come because That's like, true. there's also, there's also yes. food involved too. So yes. another, another thing to kind of think about, yeah, it kind of just puts an extra obligation on people or also just the, the whole RSVP thing. If you say that, like, I need to know how much food I need yep. to get. Like that in general will also help people more, you know, be more committed to 
showing up or not showing up. So another little small tip. Yeah. And like while we're wrapping up, I just want to say like we might have made the concept of, I mean, we've talked about this for an hour. So obviously it's an, a, a big concept of, of hosting a board game night. And it can feel scary, especially if you've never done it before or if you're kind of going mm-hmm. out on a limb to ask someone. But like we are three friends, three very good friends that would not have known each other had it not been for Tim reaching out or, you know, I think you guys were like helping mm-hmm. someone move together, talking about board mm-hmm. games and just mm-hmm. randomly were like invited each other. Like I'm a, a work friend of Tim's wife. Like never would have really gotten to like, I don't know most of my friends' husbands as well as I know Tim, because we've got this really cool shared experience that we keep doing regularly. Like mm-hmm. during COVID, one of my goals for the year was just to make sure that I did a board game night with y'all at least once a month to keep mm-hmm. myself sane. So like it, it can be like a really significant part of your life when you make the time and make the effort and kind of go out on a limb to, to reach out to people. So it can be a really, really beneficial thing. Yep. To your point, Sarah, you just, you just never know who will be interested. Um, like I just was randomly, you know, at my rock climbing gym and that's how I met that one person who like played terraforming Mars, like 200 times with his friends. And then he came over to play with us and creamed us, you know, like it was, you just never know who is into board games or who just like, is curious and has always been wanting to like try stuff, but just as they get, they get overwhelmed. Right. So you could kind of help bridge that gap of like, I'll be the person who gets overwhelmed for us. I'll be the screener. You just come over. I've got some games picked out. You know, you've already done 80, 90% of the work by just doing that alone. That, that screening process is what usually scares people. And that's also why we're going to help you uh, help pick out some games. So uh, what are we going to be talking about in the next episode, Sarah? I think, you know, last episode, we talked a lot about, like, briefly about different types of games. So I think for the next episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into those different types of games. You know, maybe pick a couple and give more broad examples. I think we gave, like, one or two examples of each game game type and talk about who, like, the target audience might be, what we like about those games, what we don't like about those games. Maybe a little bit about how to teach games. We'll see. Yeah, we're, st- we're we're still getting a feel for the next episode, but yeah, I think I think that's a good thing to touch upon because I I would love to kind of dive a little bit more now into you'll start to dive a little bit more into our psyche of what sorts of games that we like, you know, in those given categories that we gave in episode three, and just it it might help you pick out some games for yourself to kind of help decide what you would want to bring to a first board game night. Uh, just yeah, we're gonna just peruse the field uh, in a little bit more depth, I think. And then uh, we're kind of looking forward now, but after that, we might start to look into more uh, strategic focus into some of our favorite games. But I mean, there's a lot of topics that we're thinking about, and so we might even yep. get some feedback from you all in some avenue. So be Maybe on the lookout we'll for that. Maybe we'll have a guest. Possible. We might have some guests. We're we're working on that as well. So just barring on you know how popular and, and how much interest is reflected here, we're we're uh, perusing yep. a lot of different avenues. So just know that. Sky's the limit, and we're going to explore a lot of different categories. One thing I would recommend is they're looking at ways to to contact, follow, you know, find out if we have an Instagram feed. Check our liner notes. We will probably uh, put links to things in there if we have them. We are recording these uh, before they've begun releasing. So uh, the liner notes have a link to a to an Instagram, to a, to a Discord, 
whatever, definitely feel free to, uh, to reach out on that. And we do want to have at some point, some way for you guys to give us feedback on topic ideas and things that we're talking about that you find interesting or really probably just positive stuff. So, you know, if you find things boring, you can talk about that with your friends offline. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and and we're we're all the way in episode four. So I feel like I have the audacity to say, if you want to drop us a rating in your Ooh. podcast app, give us some five stars. You know, that's oh, always going to help a podcast like us get, get started, you know. I'm going to I'm going to throw that pitch in there early and very awkwardly. I'm sure that as this progresses, I'll get way smoother about saying that. But, you know, An- another reason to, to keep listening to, to hear Sarah get better at throwing any pitch that you uh, you go as a five star rating. <laughs> I like it. Look, and who wouldn't want to hear an ad read in my voice? Come on. Someone's got to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> oh, smooth, nice. smooth. Yeah, I, I'm in the in the wise words of uh, Dennis from It's Always Sunny. I am a five-star man, all right? So give me five stars. Yeah. All right, we'll see y'all in two weeks because remember, we're bi-weekly now. We are bi-weekly, so. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it certainly we'll doesn't then. feel like Bye. it.